0: Welcome to another episode of the How to Save the World podcast, where we take a deep dive into the academic research and behavioral science of what really gets people to take pro-environmental action and behavior. I'm your host, Katie Patrick. I'm an environmental engineer and a designer based in Silicon Valley, California, and I'm the author of the book, How to Save the World. Hi, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to tune in again to the How to Save the World podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about something that is incredibly simple yet profound. It is the core mechanism of change, and it is so fundamental and so core to. The way the world operates, we almost don't even notice it or even really think of it because we are caught up in these sort of higher level, more intellectual and social abstractions of the way things function. And I'm calling this the three axioms of change. You might have heard me talk before about the two lenses. And by this, I mean borrowing the term lenses from author and game design Jesse Schell. He's in one of the earlier podcasts. And using this phrase, the two lenses, meaning that data is one lens and behavior is the other. If you want change to happen in the world, you need to have data. You need to be measuring what you want to change. And you need to have some sort of behavior or action going on. And those two things together create a feedback loop. And that is the cornerstone of all the design that I teach. It is the fundamental framework. It's a systems theory, feedback loop centered approach. And it's also just really basically logical. If you can't measure what you're trying to change and you're not getting actual humans to do anything that's creating the change, you're not creating any change. And unfortunately, lots of us in the environmental and social impact space are not doing either of those two things. Now, where I'm extending into this, calling this these three axioms of change, same concept, but I just wanted to dig into this a little bit more. And the reason why I got inspired to record this podcast today is because people come to me all the time with their projects, their electrification projects, their climate impact projects, their community engagement projects, all of these different complex and wonderful ideas for how they want to change the world. And they ask me, well, how do I gamify it? How do I make it have more impact? How do I get it out to more people? And we have to bring it down to the core mechanism of change. And a lot of these projects actually don't have this mechanism built out. And that's where we fall into this thing called the value action gap, meaning that we can get our work out to plenty of people and people will think it's cool and it's fun and we have a great time when we all meet at the event. But just because people care about the environment or know about the environment, meaning that they have the values, they don't actually take the action, hence the term value action gap. And that is another cornerstone of the design I teach to take a systems theory seed back loop measurability based approach to change that involves measurement and action and to avoid doing anything that falls down the value action gap approach which is getting people to care more getting people to know about it getting people more educated but then they don't do anything we're really really careful to make sure that we don't do that and unfortunately i feel that our whole profession our whole community is way way too much in the value action gap camp falling down that and Very little, nowhere near enough in the measurement-based action camp of the way we think about doing things. Now, let's jump into these three axioms. If you want to make sure that your project is creating real and measurable change in the world, it has to get these three things right. And it's incredibly rare that any project for the planet or for social good, for anything, has these three things right. So the first one is you need to have the data in a feedback loop about what you are trying to change. You need to know what it is. You need to know what the units are. You need to be measuring it as frequently as possible, not once every two years. Oh, my God, do you know sustainability reports for cities, for my local city? And the cities group called ICLEI put out reports every two years. Imagine if your Fitbit told you how much exercise you'd done every two years. That is how long the feedback loop is. This is a disaster, these long feedback loops of the data. And you ask a lot of people who are professional sustainability folk questions about the data and they don't even know. Like that's the fundamental framework for changing things is measuring it and putting the numbers really big for people to see. So they're hooking themselves psychologically into this feedback loop. So really measure what you want to change. Don't work with 50 different indicators or 10 or five or even three. One, one indicator, one feedback loop. And then how do we affect this feedback loop? We need to figure out what the human action or the human behavior is that will change that feedback loop. There'll be one main action you'll work on. There may be three or five or even 10 actions for you to shift that number. But that is the core mechanism of change. But here's a third thing, right? So the first one, we've got the data in a feedback loop. The second thing is we really clearly know what action we want people to take. And we're measuring the actions and we're gathering people together to take the actions and we're getting them to actually successfully do them. I'm not just talking about them. Then there's the third thing, which is the causal mechanism. And this is the bit where I don't think any of us are really clear about. So some organizations will know the data and they'll have that data feedback loop. Some will even be talented enough, surgical enough to even have the action, the second bit. But then to have all three, that's really rare. That you truly, really know what is the causal mechanism, really the reason why people are doing the action and that action is feeding back into an improvement in the data. Causal mechanism. Because, you know what, we don't really understand ourselves very well. That's why psychology is so fascinating. That's why we like things like, you know, horoscopes and mood rings and unconscious learning about unconscious biases because 97% of our brain and our mind is in the unconscious realm. So we have these very powerful forces inside us, the machinery that is us, that are kind of making us do the things that we do. And then our conscious executive mind is like sort of hang on, being like, no, don't go that way. Get away from the chocolate cake. Get away from the hamburger. No, don't be lazy. Don't do that thing. Keep away from the phone. And we're like trying to (laughs) steer this elephant that kind of like has a mind of its own. It's the unconscious mind. So when we are designing for environmental behaviors and change... Do we really know what the causal mechanism that is getting people to change? But here's the thing. Once you know the causal mechanism and there is a set of them, like there's probably no more than 20 all up. Once you really know what it is, then you can really expand on that. Here are some examples of what a causal mechanism might be. It might be novelty. Like the feedback loop is so exciting and new and different and the action is kind of fun and it's really gamified and kind of like spectacular and cute and interesting and it has an art project attached. The causal mechanism you are activating to get people to do something is that it's novel. Like a, a big outdoor installation art project would be something like that and then somebody has to interact with it some way, like touch the ice bear and suddenly you like, I don't know, save energy on your fridge or whatever, or send a message to a politician or something. If you know that novelty is your causal mechanism, then you really, really drive that. Another causal mechanism could be social competition, social comparison. This is proven over and over again. It's what's used in electricity bills. It's called social norms, and it works every time. You show somebody their data, and you show them whether they are performing above or below average of a group of other people. Or organizations that are similar to them. If you know that that social comparison, that social norm, where they sit in the bell curve or in the distribution, the percentile compared to everybody else, that's the causal mechanism that you are hitting. And this is where it gets really interesting in data design is that in order to show this comparison, I mean, this was my big, like, aha moment 10 years ago when I started getting into this stuff. In order to activate this very powerful social norm, social comparison mechanism that we have that instantly drives us to act to want to improve our score, we need to have extra granular data. And we often don't have granular data, granular meaning by household, by organization. If you look up a lot of environmental stuff, you can maybe get it for your state, for your country. Like, can you actually get data for your own home or a single building? Like how much waste is there? No. Look at an EPA report, it'll be for a major big district. You can't get it for your individual school or your house. So how can you show people this comparison if you don't have the granular data? So there's a huge amount of work involved. I mean, not work, there's a huge amount of opportunity to gather this data for waste, for electricity, for cars, for CO2, for air pollution, no matter what it is, and then show it in the format of comparing the person or the entity, the building or the organization with others that are similar. And that is a causal mechanism. Social comparison right to the core of the human brain. Another causal mechanism might be positive feedback. People like a smiley face or thumbs up that say good job. That when people do something, they get some type of reward. It could even be money. It could be anything that makes people feel good. That when they do the action, they get a sense of reward. It could be our need to track progress towards a goal and to complete a goal and to just finish something we started and to improve our score compared only to our own score. So if this is something you're hacking into, you're not comparing people with other people because sometimes you can't do that, but you are comparing people to their own personal history. You're asking them to make a commitment based on a specific time to track their progress along that time so you are harnessing people's internal sense of committing to a goal. It's an internal mechanism we have where we make a promise to another person. It's called a commitment device or commitment theory, We make a commitment and then we want to stick to it and get to the end. And then when this arbitrarily defined goal has been reached, then we get that dopamine hit, that dopamine boost saying, good job, you made it. Because dopamine is the molecule of motivation, the molecule of more. It's the molecule that motivates us to move on a path towards something, to get something we don't have and to finish it. It's that itch to finish the to-do list, you know, to get the final badge. And if that's what you're activating, if that's your causal mechanism, dive into that. And your causal mechanism could be something negative. It could be something like a parking fine. Like it doesn't all have to be positive. It can be. You get a red angry face. Apparently people really don't like that. You get a fine of some kind. You miss out on some special type of bonus. You have to pay some type of tax. You get a letter or a message saying that your organization or your household is in the bottom 10%, like you're in the failing 10% of the group. That is a causal mechanism using some type of pain trigger, some type of sense of loss. And when you put these three things together, your data feedback loop, the action you want people to take, and some really deep insight into what this causal mechanism is then you've got these three axioms of change working together. And you must, you absolutely must have all three working together to create the loop of change. If these three things don't exist, change is not happening. Like I promise you, even if you don't measure it and you're not even noticing it, they are happening. The data is changing, the people are acting, and they're doing it because of some causal reason. This is happening. If these three things are not happening, you are not changing anything. I promise you that. So start with the fundamentals. Start with these three things. Measure it. Figure out the behavior. Just do one at a time. Don't try to do many all at once. Everybody wants to do many all at once. Just do one. Get one dialed in. Get some change happening and really, really think about the causal mechanism. You can read my book, How to Save the World, to get a better feeling of what these causal mechanisms might be. On the Gamify the Planet page on Patreon, I have a short version of my guest lecture where I go into this in more detail. If you listen to all the other podcast episodes with the environmental psychology guests, they are explaining what more of these causal mechanisms are. But here's the thing. You do not want your causal mechanism to be The three things that we tend to assume get people to change but don't actually work very well. Your causal mechanism is not education. This is the big mistake. It's called the biggest mistake in my book. The big mistake is not that we know more about it. If somebody comes along, they don't know anything about urban agriculture or how to grow vegetables. They go through your idea or your project or system or interaction. And they come out the other side and now they know a lot. They know all the different species. They know the nutrients to go in the water. They know some climate data. Like that is not the causal mechanism that is going to get them to actually start growing their own vegetables like, you know, in a city. So if, if your hypothesis is that education and knowledge is my causal mechanism, you are doing it wrong. You are making a big mistake. The biggest mistake That's why I talk about it so much. It is well known with environmental psychologists and environmental behavior people that this is a big mistake. And when I ask them at the beginning of the podcast, what is the big mistake you see? And they almost all kind of say the same thing. They say, like, government organizations, not-for-profits, climate, environmental startups take this knowledge and information-based approach, which is wrong. It's an important ingredient, not saying you don't need to do it, but it is not the actual causal mechanism. The other causal mechanism is getting people to care more, that really pulling on the heartstrings, like, you know, crying for the whales. I mean that in a condescending way, way I've, like, cried for whales. I mean it in, like, a genuine way. You know, really feeling that that pain when you see, like, you know, climate CO2 data and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, like, fuck, like, what's going to happen? That emotional caring, also not a causal relationship to taking the action. It's an ingredient. It is not the thing. It's kind of like cooking, right? If I make a cake, I put ingredients in the cake, which is flour, eggs, butter, baking soda. It will not turn into a cake if I don't put it in the oven. The central causal mechanism for (laughs) getting the cake is that it has to get hot. It has to go into the oven. So... These other mechanisms like getting people to know more, getting people to care, and even giving financial incentives. Financial incentives are not strong ways to motivate people. They're actually some of the weakest ways to motivate people. Think of what really, really motivates us. You know, it's social connection. It's kids. It's moving up in social hierarchy. It's having meaning and purpose. It's our spiritual calling. It's trying to be comfortable and kind and be good to our friends and our family connections. And money is just something that we kind of have to manage in the process. It's not like, the key cornerstone of yearning. It's a mechanism to get there. So I really hope that that cake metaphor really hits home because I think once you really get it, like once that really sinks in, that if you're using knowledge and caring and money, it's like kind of trying to make a banquet with just a bit of flour and a bit of water and butter. Like you're not going to be able to actually make the food, have it turn into what it needs to turn into and then have people sort of turn up and really love it and have that action or behavior that you want to have happen. I like to teach these psychological causal mechanisms in five categories. The first one being goals and rewards. You want to have a goal, set it like finishing a to-do list and then tracking the progress towards that goal. We have all of this internal mental architecture to Get us to do that. And that's the cornerstone of gamification. The second one, social comparison. Any way that you can compare people to each other, that will get them to act. Nobody wants to be worse than average. The third one is social imitation. We are all copying each other all of the time. If you can show examples of how you want people to behave, what you want them to do, this sense of this is us, this is our community, this is who we are, we do this thing, And then you use it in language, you use it in pictures, you use it in any way that you can say, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And then people will consciously and unconsciously copy it, social imitation. The fourth one is group identity. We do things in groups. Think of a person who has blue hair, tattoos, black rimmed glasses, and is wearing a Dead Kennedys t-shirt, And Doc Martens. Okay, that kind of sounds like a lot of my friends. But when I say that, like I haven't given you any information as to their political beliefs, their creative leanings, I've given you a little bit of a hint into what music they might listen to, into their education level, into how clean and organised they are, into their likely-to-be heterosexual, homosexual, polyamorous what sort of job they might work in. But you can get a sense when I explain all of these visual incarnations of a person, what kind of tribe they come from and then what kind of political ideology they'll have, what type of behaviours they have, how they'll eat, all that type of stuff because the way that we dress is a signal to our cultural tribe. This is why we have different types of fashion and looks and subcultures. We're putting a signal out there to tell everybody, I'm one of these people. I'm a blue hair, black rimmed glasses, tattoos, Dead Kennedys person, and these are my beliefs. So if you are not one of these people, you probably shouldn't try to be friends with me because you can kind of tell that we're not going to have that much in common. And if you do have similar beliefs, then we're instantly going to know that we can be best friends. This is the meaning behind our subcultural cues of our aesthetic appearances. And this is a long way of explaining that group identity is powerful. People join groups. They need groups. We psychologically must have groups for our own survival, our own happiness, and to avoid depression and despair and all this bad stuff. We all need to feel that we are part of a group. This is what churches do. This is what sports teams do. And on the bad side of things, this is what cults do to try to bring vulnerable people in as they give them this tribe and this group. This is what all types of clubs and communities do. So you want to use this causal mechanism of bringing people into groups, like real groups, where they know each other's names, where they have each other's phone numbers, where people are talking to each other and bonding. That is really what gets people to do behaviours because you see, if you see all your friends starting to go vegetarian or vegan, you'll start doing it too because it becomes part of the culture of the tribe. And these beliefs go deep. If your tribe of people is like really really into climate change and then you come along and say I don't believe in climate change I just bought like a big car like it's not acceptable you'll get kicked out of the tribe maybe maybe not you won't get kicked out but like that's like a deep rift so there's these attitudes behaviors the way you live these political views and identities they have to be similar within a group it's so so strong it's another thing that Every single person who I've interviewed, every single PhD environmental psychology expert says this one thing that is all about groups. You bring people into a group and the group dynamic is completely different to when people are acting as individuals because groups all cohere to a certain type of norm. They copy each other. People don't want to be left out. They don't want to be kicked out of the group. Even if it's a group of strangers that don't even really know each other, they start to conform to a type of a group norm. And even if it isn't a group of strangers, you don't want to have a whole group of people that you've never met before just hate you for no reason, right? It's deeply, deeply uncomfortable to be rejected by a group, if not completely agonizingly hurtful and heartbreaking. So you want to be using groups as one of your causal mechanisms. That's the fourth one. And the fifth one is trust. Humans make promises to each other, promises to themselves, and this trust mechanism This commitment psychology is what really, really strongly bonds people to come through on their behaviours. So you can use these individually or you can wrap them up together. So imagine like you join a program, you join it as a group, you give people a group identity, you know, like a name, like whether like a brown eco bears or whatever. And then you give everybody a goal and then you track the progress towards that goal and then everybody makes a promise to each other in the group. I promise to do X, Y and Z by this date and they're accountable to that group. Then you are measuring everybody and you are comparing them to each other. In that group. And then you are showing pictures of social norms of what is meant to be done. Wrap it all together, and you've got the ultimate the surgical, psychological, cut to the core of human motivation system, all the causal mechanisms together. It'll work phenomenally. As long as you can hook people in and you get them to really actually sort of want to be there voluntarily. That's kind of like the art of inviting people. But once they're in, put it all together. It'll work amazingly well. Or you can just use one causal mechanism because it might be too much to put them all together. Just use one. But the point of this whole story is know what it is. Know what causality is. Don't make it knowledge. Don't make it caring. Don't make it money. Make it what actually drives people to take action. And I want you to think now. Has your project, has your work been built off these three things? Has it been built from looking into the data, Has it been built from what's the action we want people to get to take to change the data? And then when you're looking at the causal mechanism that you're going to use to get people to take that action, are you sure that that is a true and tested causal mechanism that actually is proven in behavioral science to get people to change? Otherwise, it's just not going to work. You're just going to spend your whole life in the value action gap. We've all done it. We've all spent large chunks of time in the value action gap and we're trying to get out. So don't do that. Don't fall down there. Don't be stuck. Take the bold move. Use the three axioms of change. I will draw this, and I will put this on Instagram. I hope. I know I say that sometimes, and that I don't actually get around to it, but I'll really try to make this, one, make this one happen. If you want to take a deeper dive into this stuff, please, if you haven't already, do the Behavior Mapping Masterclass. I've got it all on the new Ecopia store, ecopiastore.com. It'll be in the episode description. I have put all of my courses on there. So before, the only way to access my courses was to sign up for Gamify the Planet, $25 a month on Patreon. But I had multiple courses in there. So now I've put them all so you can buy each one of them individually. So you don't need to sign up to something that's going to bill you every month. You can just buy one at a time. I've got it right up the top there on the pages, go to courses and go to behavior mapping bootcamp and you will get all of the videos. It's got two hours of videos. It's got a download of all of the cards that you can print out. I think it's 96 different marketing and behavioral psychology and gamification mechanisms. You get access to all of my slideshows. There are hundreds literally of project examples and academic research examples in there that you can look at. And it is the ultimate fine tooth comb mechanism for going through your project. If there's one thing i want to get everybody to do is i want you to do that course it's 2 hours video it's not impossible it takes maybe 3 or 4 hours to go through with all of your own thoughts and your own brainstorming once you have these three axioms worked out the data the action the causal mechanism you want to build that out into a project build that out into a whole mechanism with the marketing the relationship building the feedback loop the sale the gamification go through this process I won't touch a project without going through this process because i don't even know where to start until i've actually done it this is what i use for my own work i think it's only i put it at half price i think it's like 45 dollars to get the video it's an amazing deal you won't get this knowledge anywhere else like it's it's really really something that i want to share with people and have people absorb this knowledge because it's not taught anywhere else i had to put this together on my own by doing deep deep research into these primary principles into these key causal mechanisms that I found in systems theory, in behavioral science, in UI UX design, in software design, and also my 20 years in sustainability to put it all together in something that I felt I could intellectually comb through a problem right from the beginning through the end and build out an amazing project that would hit all the bases and actually make the change happen in the end and it is on ecopiastore.com. You can also get the Ecotopia artworks on there, framed, unframed, the 2024 calendar, 12 beautiful, inspiring Ecotopia transformation images and quotes, as well as organic t-shirts and hoodies and all of my courses are on there. But in particular, it's the Behaviour Mapping Masterclass that. Like will really help you move from this concept that we've talked about in this podcast today and take it out into a whole lot more detail. So you can have amazing ideas that really, really do have an impact. Thank you for listening. I hope you're able to implement the three axioms and get really, really good at causality and making change happen. And I'll see you again for another podcast next week.